nation through vulnerability and honesty and speaking out. Conrad, because you spoke first, I know you relaxed and then you could listen. Peer to peer, what did you hear? Wow. You know, because you said it so well. Jesus is answering the person, not always the question. And then she follows up with her person. And I'm thinking, what are you thinking? And you can hold that. I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Let's <laughs> step forward just a little bit. Come onto the rug. I think that's how they stream it from here. So. I want to know more about depression and how Jesus fixes. I'm guessing it's not all at once. <laughs> no, no. Is this, should I use this one? Yeah. No, and I think, I, I, I want to be careful here um, because there's been a lot of damage done in the church to people who have suffered from mental illness. <laughs> Real damage. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you would just pray more. Read your Bible more. Is there unresolved sin in your life? You kidding? So, I think, does Jesus heal? Can he and should we pray for healing from mental illness just like we do for any other things? Yes, but I think that God shows us his grace by just being present in our lives through the community that we are vulnerable with. And I think that God's grace can be shown in healing. I think it can be shown in the people in our communities. And I think God's grace can be shown on some medicine on the side and like in your hand that helps you regulate your brain chemistry. Um, it can be found in counseling sessions. It can be found, it's, it's a holistic, whole person thing. And I think that Jesus isn't just in the business of healing miraculously. I think he's in the business of healing through a whole host of different means to heal the whole person, I think. I don't know. I mean, again, this is just my experience, so take it with a grain of salt, but because mental illness is a big, it's a big thing in the church, so just want to be careful there. Thank you. What else you got? Well, thinking out loud, I've got a question for Conrad, but I don't want to leave this space <laughs> no, no, fast, because fine. we know the fastest growing dis-ease in our society is anxiety and depression. And both the body participates in that neurologically and chemically, but also the interior life yeah. is coming up more and more in the brokenness. And so I think you're speaking a, a valuable word, so I don't want to rush from that. Um, but having had your say, okay, so yeah, stay no. with us. We'll keep going. Conrad, what part of your studies as you've looked at Phariseeism and the kind of Sadducees and that religious... Uh, kind of thinking that those two main primary groups represented, how do you see those most influencing Christian thought or behavior today in our own church circles? Or how do we get aware of what's going on currently with what's been around for so long where religious circles become prone and picked off by? Um, well, I guess there's two ways you can go with it. And the obvious way to go with it is, I think already from what I said, most of you will realize that you're a lot more like the Pharisees, and the Pharisees a lot more like you than you think in terms of taking principles from an ancient text 
and trying to figure out how they apply today. And I think it's pretty easy for the church to criticize itself in terms of Pharisaic Judaism, which became contemporary Judaism. But there's another way to go as well, and that is to try and see, try and see past the legalism to what the legalism is trying to do and learn with Jews what I think of as habits of holiness. Um, I had a friend when I was growing up who, who um, she wrote a play in which the lead character decided, was fed up with her conservative Jewish parents and decided to leave home. My friend was a conservative Jew. Um, when she wrote the character's line, even though she was writing about a character who was fed up and angry, and even though it was just a character in the play, she wrote, G-D, damn you, dad. <laughs> she had ingrained in herself a habit of holiness not to take the Lord's name in vain, that worked even when she was describing someone that wasn't her, who was angry and would have taken the Lord's name in vain. And you know, maybe it's legalism. If you do something without thinking it through, maybe it's legalism. But maybe it's a legalism that I wish we had more of. If I could train myself to honor God, even when I don't feel like honoring God. That might be a good thing. So there are good and bad things about ancient Judaism and contemporary Judaism. Thanks. Thanks for offering both sides of that. That's helpful. Questions now that we have live, so I'm curious who would like to bring a question, and we'll continue for our next uh, eight-plus minutes in conversation um, briefly, your name, brief, and your question. Uh, my name's Matt, and my question is, obviously we're here talking a lot about, um, you know, Jesus as a storyteller and brilliant and, you know, reading our mail with the stories and his parables and all that. Um, and my question for you, Dr. Gimp, specifically is when you, you know, you go on into like the book of Acts or the writings of Paul, and it seems like obviously they're focused on Jesus as fulfillment of scripture and his death and his resurrection but there's like almost nothing about his teaching. And I know there's a good reason for that, and it sounds like I need to read your book on Paul, uh, but I'd love to hear your feedback on, on why their kind of focus was, wasn't on his teachings, it was on these other things, so thank you. Yeah, uh, that's a great question, a very live question, not only with you, but with lots of people and with scholarship today. Why is it that the letters of Paul contain so little of the teaching of Paul. It really is, uh, the teaching of Jesus, it really is very rare. And in the 20th century, which is where I come from, spent most of my life there, in the, in the deepest, darkest 20th century, people had two possibilities. Either Paul didn't know the teaching of Jesus, or he didn't approve of the teaching of Jesus. It's all wrong. <laughs> it turns out to be rubbish. It turns out, it turns out 
that when you look at any Christian letter in the New Testament, or in the century or two past the New Testament, those are not places where the people tended to write about the teachings of Jesus. So it's not just Paul. It's not that Paul's thinking, oh, I don't like it. It's true of the letters of John. It's true of the letters of Peter. So it's not a problem with Paul. It's a problem, if it's a problem, with the epistle format. And the epistle format is a format that's answering contemporary problems rather than going back to the beginning. So I think that what's going on is when Peter or Paul or James or any of the other guys were speaking and teaching in person, they were probably teaching the teachings of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and so on. And then people would come back to them and write and say, but how do I do this today? And they would write back and say, well, stay in Christ, remember the things that I taught you, and this is how that carries on. So I think it's a genre problem rather than a Paul problem. Thank you for your question and your response. Any other questions in our time together? Hi, I'm Jay. Hey, Nish, I wanted to tell you that uh, I really uh, appreciate you exposing yourself like that. About the suicide thing, that takes a lot of courage. And the thing about the church is, it seems like we got to pretend like we got it all together. I don't quite understand it, but I know the church can't be a 12-step group, but I, where's, where's the reality that, uh, and then a preacher gets up and he has to sort of pretend like he's got it all together. Because if he exposes that he doesn't, then they're going to run him out of town. And so where's the forgiveness and redemption? Uh, if we have to pretend we got it all together, we can't help each other. So anyway. You want to make a statement? If you, could, if, you could give, if you could give from your story, if you could give an ingredient, activate an ingredient to the local body of Christ for someone... What would you like to activate it with, coming from the story that you shared and the experience that you've had? Mm. Is that a fair question? You want to play with that? Yeah. Okay. I know you'll have a different answer tomorrow morning, but the one that you have right now. <laughs> Probably have a different answer every day for the rest of my life. Um, to the church? Is this what you're asking? At large? Yeah. I think the first thing that I would say is um, we need a little more grit and a little less polish. I think because Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Um, I think that's the first thing, so be honest and vulnerable. There's value in that. Um, because when you're honest with your story and with what you're going through and what God has brought you through, it's in that moment that you empower someone else to say, me too. Um, your vulnerability breeds vulnerability and vulnerability breeds change, which breeds transformation. Um, so that would be probably the first thing is just be vulnerable, which I know is scary. And vulnerable's not being just honest, like there's honesty, 
But then there's vulnerability, and that's, the, and that's allowing someone to speak in. Honesty is just laying your crap on the table. I do that all the time on the internet. I mean, we all do. That's what Facebook's for. So, I mean, seriously. But vulnerability is allowing someone in and allowing them to speak into your life. And um, so that would be the first thing. And the second thing, in regards to especially the people in places of influence and people who have platform, we have got to get away from the celebrity Christian culture. That's got to go away. Um, Because we build people up to be things that they were never meant to be. Um, And as soon as they're up there, it's really easy to knock them down. And I'm so tired of watching us eat our own. And it starts with this idea that some people have more value than others because they have a stage or a microphone. And that's just a lie. And so those are the two things I think we need to incorporate more in the church that would honestly just breed more vulnerability. Um, If we start seeing people as like, oh, I don't know, people, you know, maybe something will shift. Maybe we'll start to see like, oh, they're, they're just like me. They have issues and that's a good thing. <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah. That'd be my Thank you. So should the next conference should the next conference do away with the stage and the microphones and we just go down the road for a meal <laughs> and sit at tables. What's the date? What's the date? <laughs> yeah. I think that I mean, I think that in regards to the kind of conference thing that is happening, I think that's why we're seeing such a desire for things like a live stream, for things like local gatherings. People are going local. I mean, everything Mm -hmm. from like, you know, small batch coffee to, you know, whatever. People are like really into local. But I think that's actually a very um, good thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very communal thing and something we should be drawing back to. So, I don't know. I'm okay with doing away with all the... Stuff. Sorry, Wait. Carl. <laughs> Sounds like the name of a book, maybe Mealtime Habits. Right. Oh, Didn't you like Well, and, and not like to that? try to sanitize what we just said because we're looking for new forms of authenticity, vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, totally. But that's the two hour lunch break. That's the four to seven. It's, it doesn't exactly. satisfy everything, but it's certainly not a jam packed schedule um, yeah. to where we're only listening and being spoken to. So. Um, one tweet came in and said, uh, thank you, Nish, for your honesty and transparency, weeping from my darkness. Yeah. Honesty is just... You, can you forward me that person's Twitter handle so I can be praying for them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Another, I mean, wonderful. Okay. I think we've landed. Thank you so much. 